Don't touch the dial, the mouse, leave them alone. Hey, McGovern here, Terry McGovern. Timbo will be along in a second or two. Uh, this is the year 1947 on Timbo Land at TimboLand.net. Haven't really thought a lot about 1947 <laughs> over the years. I was, uh, I was five. And I don't remember much of it, if any at all. But as I look back on it doing this show, this is an amazing year. First of all, let's take a look at the people born in the year 1947. Hillary Clinton. Hillary. A name we've come to know and fill in the blanks. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Get down! Is 70 years old. David Bowie. God bless him. He would be 70 uh, this year. Uh, Elton John is 70, O.J. Simpson is 70, Iggy Pop 70, uh, Stephen King born this year, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's not a bad lineup whatsoever. But let me tell you, there's so much more about this year, 1947, you baby boomers. Uh, this was a major year of growth for the baby booming population post-World War II. But it was also, uh, it, it was fraught with interesting stories. Uh, let me just tick off a, a, a list, a short list, and we're going to look at today. The Roswell Incident. The invention of the UFO, the invention of another uh, anagram, CIA, happened in 47. The Marshall Plan, which uh, kind of took care of the rest of the world, uh, particularly Europe, uh, after World War II. Uh, Chuck Yeager. Chuck Yeager, who would go on to uh, the right stuff fame uh, and play by uh, our good friend that we lost uh, so recently, uh, Sam Shepard. Anyway, Jaeger broke the sound barrier in this year, 1947. We'll look at sports, we'll look at movies and songs, and uh, we'll talk to the tech guy, Rick Banghart, about the uh, technological advancements produced in the year 1947. Be back, probably spend most of our time on Roswell. So that's what we'll come back with. Unidentified flying objects. On Timboland at Timboland.net, the podcast for baby boomers. I've got the water, energy bars, and camera. I think we're set for the hike. Almost. We need to protect our skin. Don't forget your wide-brimmed hat and sunscreen. Oh, right. I've got the hat. I've got SPF 30. Will that work? Yeah. Anything 15 or higher is good. Just make sure it says broad spectrum. Great. Got it. I am not getting burned again. Let's go. Learn more at cdc.gov slash cancer. You're listening to Timboland at Timboland.net, the podcast for baby boomers. We're back with the year 1947 uh, on uh, Timboland at Timboland.net. So these are reflections uh, and in a way kind of an almanac, too, because we go at it uh, on, a, on a single year basis this year, again, being uh, 1947. And I was talking about the things that we want to cover in this show, and they are many and uh, we'll get to them all. But we decided <laughs> we decided to lead off this uh, this particular block. That's what they call segments now on TV, I've noticed. I remember block parties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
on those hot, hot summer sure, sure. Pittsburgh afternoons. Somebody, those narrow, those, our streets were so narrow. Yeah, somebody would grab a couple of kegs of Iron City, throw them at the end of the block, and we would just get together and and talk about uh, how we're going to pay the rent, how we're going to get through school, and just good neighborhood uh, stuff that was going on in and our lives. And then I think if, if, if memory serves, usually a t- uh, capped off with a good fist fight. It did always, yeah. you know. Yeah. And when the keg got about half level, then <laughs> the fist would fly. We slapped the, slap the shit out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> we were not born of royal blood, you no, see. of course not. Okay, so the thing we want to talk about off the very top is the incident that took place uh and I won't say allegedly because it did take place. But but what was it? We don't know yet. No one will ever know because people like to hold on to their beliefs. But let's the 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 groundwork is what? What happened in Roswell? Well, 1947. Right. It was a morning in 1947, and a rancher named Mac Brazell uh, saw something uh, hurling itself towards the earth, and he went out, and he saw this strange debris. Uh, there were uh, metallic parts, and there was uh, masking tape, and there was uh, some other synthetic fiber found on the ground, and he assumed it was something from outer space, which, in fact, all it was was a weather balloon that had been launched uh, from the Roswell Air Force Base uh, that went up very high in the atmosphere and was checking the weather at different levels. That's all it ever was. There was no spaceship. Uh, There was hysteria because at that time people were kind of bored. The war was over. People were, you know, looking for something to focus on. And all of the theorists and uh, sensationalists and all the guys that were into conspiracies, all the wackos got together and said, hey, man, that's it. Let's face it. This this culture, this civilization was ready for its next level of angst. Oh, absolutely. And it took off from there when, in fact, it was uh, very, very— uh, perfectly explained by the United States Air Force. This was a weather balloon. But everybody... But that doesn't cover everything. Just a minute. Okay. Uh, way, way back when I was just starting out, I was a, a reporter, and I, I, I interviewed a guy named Stan Friedman. Can't remember the name of his book. Uh, Mr. Friedman... I believe is still alive, and he is still the proponent of the UFO theory. And the, 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 the scholar... Right. that he put into this book. And I, I still, to this day, as I did all those years ago, think he's stark raving that this didn't happen. And they talk not just about the aircraft, alleged aircraft, but also the figures were seen. Yeah, and you know what my theory the is? The actual UFO guys. Right. Aliens. And you know what the story behind that is. This isn't as publicized. The dummy drops and UFOs. Dummy drops. And the skeptics, of course, have never bought this either, but they were a series of experiments in the 1950s when the Air Force conducted a series of secret dummy drops over Air Force bases, test ranges, and unoccupied fields across New Mexico. Okay? These experiments meant to test ways for pilots to survive falls from high altitudes sent bandaged, Mm -hmm. featureless dummies with latex skin 
and aluminum bones. Dummies that looked an awful lot like space aliens were supposed to, falling from the sky onto the ground, whereupon military vehicles would descend on the landing site to retrieve the, quotes, bodies as quickly as possible. Right. It was a scientific, in fact, experiment to see what would happen to a human body when ejected from a, a high, you know, high-flying, high-speed uh, fighter jet or bomber. But they gave us the, also the early uh, picture. We right. Ne- we needed a visual mm-hmm. so that that uh, sort of uh, 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 ghostly white figure with right. the smooth features and the... And that's, yeah. in fact, what the dummy I looked did, like. I did. <laughs> to give you a visual yeah. picture. But, but, you know, Terry... And, uh, the, and the big eyes, kind of like yeah. a keen painting. Right, exactly. But I believe the the scientists at that time who were so bored to death with the facts, nothing but the facts, all of a sudden got creative and they decided to make this... Uh, they Some of them went, I guess, went sideways as far as their uh, science is concerned, and they started creating illusions of their delusions of what was happening. You know, oh man, you know, maybe a guy had too many jars of scotch that day. Dr. Uh, Feelgood decided that... Speaking of delusions of our illusions, you're listening to Timboland and we've exhausted that. You know, we're just giving our, our, our side of it. And if you believe in UFOs, God bless you, my child. Uh, please continue. A lot of really great stuff happened. Uh, but before we leave Roswell, I would like to play something for you because you said this whole thing started with weather balloons yes. dropping into the farmland mm-hmm. of, a, of a local, okay? Right. Jonathan Winters was all over it. Oh, boy. Listen. And pay no attention to the crackly stuff you hear. Yeah, it's vinyl. Old vinyl. A lot of talk about flying saucers. And I want you to meet a man this evening that's actually seen some 300 flying saucers. And your name, sir? My name's Elwood P. Suggins. And I'm from Bellbrook, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And you've seen some 300 flying saucers, is that right, sir? Yes, that is very true. When did you see your last flying saucer? The last night I seen was here Sunday week. It was out in a wheat field. In a wheat field. Isn't that a little unusual? No, I'm, I think they must feed off wheat or something. I see. Can you describe the saucer to us? Oh, very easily. I've seen over 300 of them. It's about as big as this here room. And when it come down, it give off a real funny whirring sound. Or... And the heat it give off was just intense. It was intense. Me and my kid was there, and it was just, it was fierce. It's fierce. I see. And then what happened, Mr. Suggins? Well, when this here door opened up, and this little ladder come down, and this here teeny man come down this here ladder. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Mr. Suggins. When you say teeny, what do you mean by teeny? Well, like I say, he come down this here ladder and crossed over the road and reached up and milked my cow like this. I'd call that teeny, wouldn't you? Yes, I would, Mr. Suggins. Well, did he speak American? Did he speak English? Yes, he did. He had this here glass head on him, and there's a little armature inside, and he went... Hello, I'm a Martian. I hope I speak your language. This is a recording. And then what happened, Mr. Suggins? Well, then I waited for the flip side. Take me to your leader. Take me to your leader. And did you take him to your leader? No, I didn't know who my leader was. I see. Did he do anything else? Yes, he did. 
Uh, every time my kid uh, come out of the house, well, he, he shrunk him, shrunk him down about that size. And every time I let the dog out, why the dog would bury, buried him three times. I figure at least he could have did was shrink a dog so a kid had somebody to play with. Let's <laughs> see. Was there anything else? Well, and he just, uh, you know, dissolved a couple of chickens around the house, I suppose, for kicks. And then he got on this here ladder again, opened that little door. See, and he was... And then just after he left, there was something worked off on my body, a sort of radiation or something. And I commenced to shrink myself. It was just terrible. Well, Mr. Suggins, wait a minute, Mr. Suggins, Mr. Suggins, what's the matter? Uh, this is your captain speaking. I just uh, wanted to come on and say thank you all for flying Timboland.net. We're going to be going over some very interesting terrain, so our altitude will vary from time to time. Our chief flight attendant, Nancy, just informs me that since this is an all-baby boomer flight, we've stocked this plane with some real baby boomer delights, an unlimited supply of hostess Twinkies, and ding-dongs for your nutritional satisfaction. David Robert Jones, known professionally as David Bowie, was an English singer, songwriter, and actor. He was a leading figure in popular music for over five decades, acclaimed by critics and other musicians for his innovative work. He was born in Brixton, London, United Kingdom, on January 8th, year of our Lord, 1947. In 2012 in the United States, about 317,000 motor vehicle crashes involved a large truck. 26,000 truck drivers and their passengers were injured in these crashes, and about 700 died. Trucker safety requires an alert, buckled-up experienced driver with a reliable vehicle and a strong employer safety program. Seatbelts are the most effective way to prevent an injury or death in a motor vehicle crash, but in 2013, one in six drivers of large trucks didn't use their seatbelts. Employers can help truck drivers stay safe by committing to driver safety programs at the highest level of leadership, establishing and enforcing driver safety policies, including requiring everyone in the truck to buckle up, and addressing factors that contribute to crashes, such as drowsy and distracted driving. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital signs. Okay, a quick uh, jump in here and a reminder of uh, the fact that on Timboland.net, we do cover uh, all of the years between 1946 and 1964, the years generally described as the baby boomer years. A lot of great stuff happened, probably an era of the most dramatic changes in American history. And baby boomers now getting on in years, we still, because we boomed so much back in the day, <laughs> there was so much booming going on with our parents, that we are still the second largest demographic in the U.S. population, with about a quarter of the population. Moreover, a word you don't get to use very often, moreover, we're in charge of about 70% of what's called the disposable income. It's not the worst thing to have bragging rights about. As a generation, we worked hard, and, and for the most part, we did well. Nothing to be ashamed of. So, here's the tie-in. If you're looking for a good place to spend your advertising dollar, it would be right here on a show like this that talks almost exclusively to this very well-off segment of the U.S. population. 
Go to our website, Timboland.net, click on Contact Us, and that's what you can do. You can contact us and tell us if you'd like us to possibly consider having you aboard as a sponsor. On Timboland at Timboland.net, the podcast for baby boomers. And the year we're celebrating, uh, the baby boomer year we're celebrating, this particular year is 1947. And uh, stop the presses. We can't go any further uh, until we acknowledge what happened this year, 1947, in baseball, Major League Baseball, and the effect that it would have on American civil rights, the whole issue of race relations in the country, uh, some years later. But in 47, here's what happened. On April 15th, 1947, Jackie Robinson becomes the first African-American in the major leagues when he plays his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now listen to this name. I never knew this until I found this uh, article. Jack Roosevelt Robinson. That was his name. Now you see how important it was to, to be identified as an American for his parents. And what were his parents? They were sharecroppers. Sharecroppers in Cairo, Georgia. Jackie went on to attend UCLA, where he became the first athlete to letter in four varsity spots, baseball, basketball, football, and track, and I'm sure he could have excelled in any one he picked. He served in the U.S. Army from 42 to 44 and was honorably discharged after facing insubordination charges for refusing to move to the back of a segregated bus. Absolutely. I mean, you have no idea how much courage this man had, and this is just an early indication of it. After leaving the military, Robinson played shortstop for the Kansas City Monarchs in the Negro League. In 1945, he was recruited by Dodgers president and general manager Branch Rickey, who was determined to end the unwritten segregation rule in the majors. In 1946, Robinson joined the Dodgers farm team, the Montreal Royals, and was went on to lead the league in batting. On April 15th, as I said, 1947, 28-year-old Jackie Robinson made his Major League Baseball debut with the Dodgers against the Boston Braves in front of more than 25,000 spectators at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, New York. Robinson played first base and went zero, yeah, first base and went zero for three times at bat. Dag nabbit, wouldn't you know it? He would go on to make fans forget about that game. Of course, during his early seasons in the majors, Robinson encountered racism from opposing teams and fans, as well as some of his own teammates. However, the abuse didn't affect his performance on the baseball field. What amazing concentration. Robinson played in 151 games, hit 297, stole more bases than anyone else in the National League, and was awarded the first ever Rookie of the Year title. In 49, Robinson, who had switched to playing second base, was named the National League's most valuable player. Now, the next year, he became the Dodgers' highest paid player, earning a salary of $35,000. In 1955, Robinson helped the Dodgers defeat the New York Yankees to win the World Series. He retired from baseball after playing his last game on October 10, 1956, with a career batting average of 311. 
1,518 hits and 137 home runs. Now, of course, uh, I mentioned his uh, role in the progress of civil rights in this country. After leaving baseball, Robinson worked as a business executive and continued, uh, as I said, his involvement in civil rights. But then on October 24th, 1972, he died at the age of only 53 from heart problems and complications related to diabetes. Robinson became the first African-American inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 62, his first year of eligibility. In 97, on the 50th anniversary of his historic first game in the majors, Robinson's uniform number 42 was retired by Major League Baseball. All hail Jackie Robinson, and let's not also forget a major player in this great story, Mr. Branch Rickey, who had the guts and the wisdom and the business sense to bring Jackie Robinson into the Major Leagues. Yes, Jackie hit that ball. And when he swung his bat, the crowd went wild because he knocked that ball a solid mile. Yeah, boy. Yes, yes, Jackie hit that ball. Satchel Page is mellow, so is Caponello. New come at Dobe too. But it's a natural fact when Jackie comes to bat, the other team is through. Did you see Jackie Robinson hit that ball? Did he hit it? Yes, and that ain't all. He's so whole. Yes, yes, Jackie's real gone. Oh, yeah, 1949 tribute to Jackie Robinson, uh, recorded just a couple of years after he got in uh, to the major leagues in the year 1947. As long as we're talking about uh, baseball in this year, 1947, I want to mention that the World Series, uh, the Dodgers, in fact, did meet the New York Yankees, and they lost. Uh, the Dodgers lost, and that was the beginning of that incredible run, at least of every other couple of years, by the Yankees. And... Uh, the final score was the Yankees four and the Dodgers three. Of course, that was also the year that the uh, New York Yankees had a guy named Joe DiMaggio. Jolton Joe. 
In the NFL in 1947, of course, there was no Super Bowl. The NFL uh, had considerably fewer teams, although it was already the 28th anniversary of the first NFL game. And the championship for that year was played at Comiskey Park in Chicago. The Chicago Cardinals beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Interesting note, this was the only NFL title game played at Comiskey Park and the Cardinals' only win. The two teams returned for a rematch in 1948 in Philadelphia, but the Eagles won in a snowstorm. The Cardinals have not won a championship since. This year, 1947, our year on Timbaland this week, nearly seven decades ago, the longest drought in the NFL. They moved to St. Louis in 1960 and Phoenix in 1988, renamed Arizona in 1994. Now, they got close in 2008. Uh, they got into the Super Bowl with um, the Steelers, but lost to the Steelers in a bit of a squeaker. All right, Cardinals, stick with it. Oh, by the way, in that winning game in 1947 at Comiskey, the uh, players, the players' share for that game for the Cardinals was around $1,100, and for the losing Eagles, it was about $750. Yeah, no TV rights yet. And there was no NBA yet either, although in 47, the uh, Basketball Association of America would become the NBA and become the great, fantastic, popular American sport it is today. Tennis, the number one male player in the U.S. was Jack Kramer, and in women's singles, it was Louise Broth, B-R-O-U-G-H. Ah, 1947, two years after World War II is officially ended. What is going on in the movies and in music? Don't touch that mouse. Leave your mouse alone. Oh, ho, ho, ho. my little lotus blossom. This is Timboland.net for the baby boomers. Hot. bad about radio. Oh, what do you mean? Well, since television, you know, hardly anybody listens to radio anymore. Oh, I wouldn't worry about that if I were you. There's a radio in use for every man, woman, and teenager in America. Really? Gee, I'd hate to think of them all turning them on at once. They do. Every morning. Who listens to radio? That go where you go medium called radio. That's with you every night. Commute a fight, and in the morning with the old toast and mama lady oh, who listens to radio? No matter if it's summer, winter, spring, or fall, who listens to radio? Only 150 million people. That was the great guru of radio, Stan Freeberg, and who listens to radio? Now, of course, the question is, who listens to podcasts? Well, guess what? 46 million Americans over the age of 12 now listen to podcasts on a monthly basis. That's 17% of the 12-plus U.S. population, up from 12% in 2013. Hey, that's a lot of people. They listen during their morning commute on the train, in their car while they're running or at the gym or while doing household chores. Who listens to podcasts? You do. And you're listening to Timboland on Timboland.net, the podcast for baby boomers. 
You're listening to Timboland at Timboland.net, the podcast for baby boomers. 1947 is the year on Timboland.net today. And, of course, that's the uh, second year of the baby boomer generation. It would go until 1964. It was a good batch of years. Our podcasts are basically almanacs, living almanacs, since Timbo and I are basically still alive. Wait a minute. Do you have a pulse? Me too. So to look at history is to see what shaped who we are today. After all, we're all products of our history. We are indeed. And so we're just going over our products with you. Yeah. So, 1947. We'll come back and take a quick look at movies and music for that year, and then a discussion with our tech guy. Rick Banghard, about, well, what was happening uh, scientifically in the year 1947. You're listening to Timbo Land at TimboLand.net, the podcast for baby boomers. News Ajax, the foaming cleanser. Clean pots and pans, just like a whiz. Ajax cuts grease faster than any other leading cleanser. You stop paying the elbow tax when you start cleaning. Ajax. Ajax really polishes as it cleans. So use Ajax, boom, boom, the foaming cleanser. Floats the dirt right down the drain. My gosh, they're right. Foaming action Ajax makes even the dirtiest pan shine like new in a jiffy. So use Ajax. You're listening to Timbaland at Timbaland.net. The podcast for baby boomers. In your dreams. Okay, let's check out the films of 1947. Where do we want to start? Well, we usually give you the top 10, so let's start with number 10 uh, Angel and the Badman. Yeah, Angel and the Badman. Quirt Evans, an all-around bad guy, is nursed back to health and sought after by Penelope Worth, a Quaker girl. Yeah, oh boy, let's rack that up. Number nine was The Paradine Case. A happily married London barrister falls in love with the accused prisoner he is defending. Now, this was an Alfred Hitchcock film, and it starred Gregory Peck and Anne Todd. Uh, Number eight was Black Narcissus. After opening a convent in the Himalayas, five nuns encounter conflict and tension both with the natives and also with their own group. Aha, this sounds pretty complex. It stars Deborah Carr and David Farrar. Deborah Carr and David Farrar. Dark Passage, one of the great, really great Humphrey Bogart films, uh, came in number seven. A man convicted of murdering his wife escapes from prison. And yeah, remember this? This is with Lauren Bacall, the great Humpty Bogart. Uh, Bruce Bennett and Agnes Moorhead pretty much takes the movie. Uh, number six for Fort 1947, The Lady from Shanghai. That's right. That's right. Orson Welles my friends. He directed it. He stars in it with a woman that he was insane for. I mean, he basically lost everything for this woman. Rita Hayworth. And I don't blame him. The lady from Shanghai, number six. Uh, This was, believe it or not, was reprised as a television series, I think in the 70s. Yeah, in the 70s. The Ghost in Mrs. Muir. 
And that stars Gene Tierney, who is also Laura, and Rex Harrison. And, of course, that cab everybody loved to hate, George Sanders. <laughs> Film noir is already making itself heard and seen. Number four, Out of the Past. That, of course, with the great Robert Mitchum and his B-lady, leading lady, Jane Greer. Out of the Past. One of the great uh, Christmas hits of all time came in number three, Miracle on 34th Street. Edmund Gwen, Maureen O'Hara. It's an apocryphal story, most usually given to Edmund Gwen, who played uh, Santa Claus Chris Kringle, that when he was on his deathbed, a friend came by and says, oh, it must be so hard. And, And Gwen opened his eyes and said, what, death? Relatively easy. Comedy. Now, that's difficult. Carnegie Hall is the movie that came in number two. I've never heard of this in my life. A mother, played by Marsha Hunt, wants her son, William Prince, to grow up and play at Carnegie Hall, but he'd rather run off and join Von Monroe's band. I don't know how I missed that. That sounds like a real winner. And number one is also not a very well-known film by yours truly, The Beginning or the End. Now, listen to this. This is the number one uh, movie of the year 1947, The Research, Development, and Deployment of the First Atomic Bomb, as well as Bombing of Hiroshima, are detailed in this docudrama. That'd be really interesting to go back and take a look at. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, the beginning or the end came in number one. Music from 47, quick look. Now, what we know is pop music, rock and roll music, had not reared its head yet. Well, it had, but it had a separate market. It was the black market or the race market, which is what it was called. But for the, uh, for the overall uh, majority white audience, uh, the, the stuff was pretty lame. Uh, I'll just give you a quick rundown of uh, some of the songs in the top ten. Uh, Sammy Kay, That's My Desire. Larry Green, Near You. Al Jolson sang the anniversary song. Oh, how we danced on the night we were wed. That's not Al Jolson, it's just me. Ted Weems had an instrumental thing called Heartaches. Francis Craig, Near You, was number one. But number two, uh, this is interesting, number two and number seven are the same song. The Harmonicats, Peg of My Heart, came in number two. Number seven, the Three Sons version of Peg of My Heart. And we're going to go out on that for the break. Listening to Timboland at Timboland.net, the podcast for baby boomers. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy, let your aching head and stomach hear this message from Old Speedy. Alka Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Ah, those speedy Alka Seltzer bubbles burst into action to relieve your upset stomach and aching head fast. It's only as directed. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. Yeah, baby.
Baby Boomers, y'all. So the year 1947, how are things going uh, technologically speaking? And a guy who speaks technology very distinctly is uh, Rick Banghart. He's right here looking at us. Uh, what were we uh, given by the science world in uh, 1947? Well, a couple of things dear to my heart. Uh, the um, uh, I, We've talked about this on a later one because the transistor was actually first demonstrated in 1947, and, and, we, and it was then popularized in made available a little later, and so we've talked about that and how important I think that was as a development for all of us. Bell Laboratories. Uh, Bell Laboratories was responsible for that. Uh, uh, A couple of things around uh, our insect friends. Um, Yeah. Uh, The uh, first living things sent into space and returned are fruit flies in 1947 aboard a V-2 rocket. Fruit flies. Fruit flies. I would love to send flies into space. Yeah, the more the better, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's other... A- and Tim, Tim's tim got one here. Yeah, the first Polaroid. We had one, if you'll recall, a Polaroid land camera. We had it by... We really couldn't have afforded one at the time, but Dad worked for a television station in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the only station in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, he, yeah, he got to bring it home and demonstrate it. The price tag on that was $87.50. That was really, really a big... Uh, that was a big expenditure for sure in those days. Very much a luxury item. It certainly was, and an incredible invention. So what else, Rick? What have you got? The uh, one that uh, the next bug story in uh, September you got 9th. Bugs on the brain, I got maybe. bugs on the brain, but this is a different kind of bug, and this is the first computer bug in 1947. A moth. Lodged in a relay is found to be the cause of a malfunction in the Harvard Mark II electromechanical computer. It's the first actual computer bug. Followed by a patch? No patches. They just uh, <laughs> uh, vacuumed the thing out, and they were back in business. Okay. All right. What else in 47, Doctor? What do you got? More bugs. More bugs. <laughs> More bugs. You're kidding me. The Zika virus was first isolated from a rhesus macaque in the Zika forest of Uganda. Wow. It was bugs, bugs, bugs in 1947. You just go, what? Ow. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, anything else of interest within the year year 1947? One quick other sport note. Ferrari began to produce sports cars. 1947. How many of those did you own over the years? I had uh, two, actually, Terry. And uh, I had one that was a 1954, I believe. And I raced that with uh, Jackie Stewart in uh, Le Mans a couple of times. Okay, folks. <laughs> I've been listening to this BS all my life. Boy, Tim, your, your nose is growing. Yes, it is indeed. <laughs> and getting redder. <laughs> okay, guys, thank you so much. That's it for 1947. You're listening to Timboland at Timboland.net. It's the podcast for baby boomers. Okay, that's it for Timboland, uh, Timboland.net for the year 1947. Check us out. Well, that's probably how you got here. You checked us out. But, I mean, try all the other years as well. We go from 46 to 64. I'm Terry McGovern along with my hauntingly beautiful younger brother, Timbo, Rick Banghart, and everybody who contributes to Timboland. Thank you so much. See you next time.